Guys, before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny is fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. And speaking of greatness, check out the Giannis Draft, a series by the Woj Pod that explores how Giannis Antetokounmpo went from a Greek teen of Nigerian descent hawking trinkets on the streets of Athens to a two-time NBA MVP. Listen to the Giannis Draft and the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Mini Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks training camp is where you learn to stop barking from your man. That's Lenny. I'm Mini Kimes. And I was I always bring in guests by saying, I'm delighted to be joined, and I am delighted to be joined, but it's a crazy and kind of oh, a sad day is a little bit dramatic. But Lindsay Theory, who covers the Rams for us, is joining me today to pre- preview the NFC West. And It's a sad day for Rams fans because we're taping this on a Tuesday and news just broke that Cam Akers, the Rams starting running back, second year player, really broke out at the end of last season, has torn his Achilles and is out for the year. Lindsay, I think I just want to start first by asking you like what the expectations were for Akers going into this season and how you think the Rams might address the running back position. Yeah, Mina, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Mm. Um, very, very rough news for the Rams to Rams fans to wake up to this morning uh, regarding Cam Akers. Uh, the Rams had huge expectations going into this season. This is his second season. He finished 2020 off so strong um, the final couple of months and really established himself as the feature back. And Sean McVay um, mentioned as much when the season ended throughout the offseason um, that a lot was going to be put on Cam Akers. He prepared this offseason to be the feature back, learning the playbook, really um, kind of trying to hone in on his pass protection skills mm-hmm. so he could be in every down back. Um, so this is a huge blow to the backfield. Um, as for what comes after Cam Akers, uh, they're going to look at Daryl Henderson. Obviously, he was going to be the number two back this year. Uh, they're going to have to go with him as the number one back unless they they go out and sign something out. Daryl Henderson Think about him. He was slow during the offseason program, um, undisclosed injury. And I know that he's kind of been dinged up in the past, but uh, he's going to have to be the guy. After Daryl Henderson, that is when it's nothing but question marks. You have Xavier Jones, Raymond Clay, Jake Funk. Um, Funk is a rookie. Uh, Clay and Jones were both on the roster last year, but very limited um, experience, uh, really mostly on special teams, if any. And uh, so the Rams backfield went from being very promising young backfield to a, a big, big question mark going forward. Man, all those names that you just mentioned, like Jones, Funk, those are guys that I like. I we were talking about the um, the Acres injury today on NFL Live, and I was like, I wish I had I knew more about these guys because if we had had Rams preseason last year, I would know more about. Mm-hmm all these like, you know, undrafted and younger players, but there was no preseason. And so I guess I'm going to, I'm doing the Rams preseason this year. So I'm going to learn a lot about them. We'll see who plays. I sure is. I can tell you right now, Henderson ain't playing in the preseason because Mm -mm. yeah, like you said, he he is RB one. Now he was the third round draft pick in 2019. And which I think was why some people were kind of surprised when the Rams took it back the next year. And I like him. I think, I think he is a, he's a, first of all, I think he's a better option for this team than, any of the free agents available. Like there's names being thrown around like Adrian Peterson, Todd Gurley reunion. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't, none of those make sense for me. The question I do have about Henderson is like a, first of all, he has his own injury history. So Mm -hmm. depth, depth, depth. And maybe they would sign like a Duke Johnson to, to be behind him, but also, and like a pass catching back, but also like, can he handle a whole workload and how are they going to use him? Because, the Rams run game, you know this from watching them so closely, it's it's changed a lot over the last couple of years from that 2018 very like signature, everything looks the same, everything from you know out of that outside zone running scheme, under center play action. With Akers, they were using more gap concepts. Mm-hmm. He, he he's a bit stronger, I think, you know, and, and better at running between the tackles. So I'm I'm wondering, like, is the run game gonna look different? Um 
And also, will his job be easier? And this brings us, of course, to the real big change with Matt Stafford, you know? And and so, like, that to me is, like, the big question kind of looming over all of this. Well, when you go back to the description of Daryl Henderson, Sean McVay always referred to him as the change of pace back. When they drafted mm. him, he was the change of pace back that Sean McVay really wanted to kind of complement your downhill runner, which would have been uh, Cam Akers, which was, although Todd Gurley could do everything, also very much a downhill runner. Uh, so how they'll use Daryl Henderson, whether he can be that guy, that every down back is still a, a question. And like you mentioned, the injury history is somewhat concerning. How healthy can he remain throughout the season? Um, and then you bring up Matthew Stafford. And the interesting part about the Matthew Stafford situation is that one of the kind of clutches that was used um, for maybe the lack of success in Detroit was that he didn't have a super dependable run game. Yeah. Well, now you look at the Rams run game and it's an, it's a big question mark instead of having a very promising young backfield. And, and even going into the season, I kind of thought this backfield might take a small step back from where it was uh, last season only because they lost Malcolm Brown. And I know that Malcolm Brown wasn't some runner who was just going to light the world on fire, but he was so dependable um, in known passing situations at the goal line. Uh, and so you don't have him as like your sturdy, dependable fallback option. Um, so you have Daryl Henderson and then after him with Xavier Jones and Ray Calais, uh, you know, it, it's always a telltale sign. Those guys didn't see the field. Um, Sean McVay can kind of say, oh, they're great. They're promising, but they, they, they have to have no experience. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, Matthew Stafford does kind of take some of the burden off of the backfield. But then again, um, for them to if they want to be that Super Bowl team and and go as far as they can, they really need a dependable backfield because that's also been part of what's held Matthew Stafford back. Well, I think that brings me to sort of my next question about the Rams offense. It's funny. I'm like, we're kind of dancing around Stafford, which again was the massive change, but like the Ram, we're talking about Rams offense that when they did lose Todd Gurley for a few games uh, in 2018, they were fine with CJ Anderson, right? And Malcolm Brown, who you just mentioned, because the offensive line was very good. Then 2019, the offensive line struggles, 2020, bit of a bounce back season. But I actually like looking at this group, before we, when I was preparing for this, I didn't have questions about the run game. Obviously, now I do. My big question was about the offensive line because I actually was kind of surprised they didn't add more depth to that position in the draft. Um, so left to right, you know, it's still Andrew Whitworth and Rob Havenstein, the ageless Andrew Whitworth and Rob, and Rob <laughs> Havenstein on the right side. But on the inside, I, I guess the assumption, what I'm hearing is, you know, Austin Corbett's likely to move to center with Blythe in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. David Edwards was good last year at left guard was, is a younger player. And then I suppose with Corbett moving to center, Bobby Evans, who they actually drafted before David Edwards moves to right guard. Basically there's a lot of musical chairs happening. Mm -hmm. And to me, like the success of the run game and whether or not Matthew Stafford is going to have a better run game alongside him than he did in Detroit. It's mostly contingent on whether this offensive line is going to be good. Like, do you anticipate that they're going to look, like they did last season, and do you have concerns about the depth? I have definite concerns about the depth. I, you know, I was stunned when the Rams did not make a single move this offseason to either draft an offensive lineman or sign an offensive lineman. Um, you know, losing Austin Blythe, who took over a center a couple years ago and really kind of um, owned the position when they were otherwise struggling there. Um, I think I think that's a bigger loss than than anyone's letting on inside the building. Um, <laughs> They move Austin Corbett over, but his experience playing the position at the pro level is limited to a few preseason games um, back in Cleveland. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's a definite concern. And the, the, on top of that, you mentioned the depth. Uh, Andrew Whitworth uh, is like he's going to his I think, 16th season. Wow. Um, it seems like he can play for forever, but that's not probably going to be the case for forever. Uh, I am concerned about the depth there. And I know they have Joe Noteboom. They have a few guys you can slide in and slide out. Um, so in the immediate future, like they're probably going to be okay this season unless somebody gets hurt. And that's always a big if, um, mm -hmm. and in which case depth becomes a concern. And I know you've had plenty of experience kind of seeing what their backup linemen look like in previous uh, preseason games. And um, sometimes it can be a little bit head scratching. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, Jamil Denby. I, yeah, I, I know. That's I exactly Jamil Denby. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so all right, let's get to the Stafford part because this is the reason, the biggest reason why there's so much optimism around this Rams team. I 
think they're the betting favorite to win their division, but most, a lot of people have them projected to win uh, is because of the upgrade at quarterback from Jared Goff to Matt Stafford. And to me, like one stat really captures why they made this move and what they, what they, Sean McVay, less need hope it does for this offense, which is last year, Jared Goff, uh, ranked 33rd in air yards per attempt. Matt Stafford ranked second. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, there was Goff, there were, there were, it wasn't just the struggles with the deep ball, I think, that ultimately doomed him in Los Angeles. There was uh, turnovers and sometimes inability to play plays outside of structure was frustrating for McVay. But the explosive play, the absence of explosive plays, the lack of a deep ball, I think is what trigger it's like the biggest factor behind the trade. And it's also why they went out and got not only Stafford, but also signed Deshaun Jackson drafted Tutu Atwell uh, with the first pick at wide receiver. He's a speedster. Like, do you anticipate that the Rams offense, like aside from the fact that Stafford can do things that Jared cannot, do you think it's going to look different? Like what are your expectations for, I don't know, just the scheme and whether or not there's going to be like an, a next phase of this McVay offense. Sure. I wish I could compare and say, I think this offense is going to come out of the gates looking like the 2018 offense. Um, but you can't do that because you don't have up running back like Todd Gurley. Um, but I will say that I think that it's going to return to a really exciting um, brand of football that last couple seasons really all we saw was kind of dink and dunk ball down the field yeah. and it just became monotonous. But I think um, with Matthew Stafford, uh, that Sean McVay's play caller probably is going to be very reinvigorated. I mean, I, I think McVay became stale the past year and a half, just kind of trying to work through his struggles with Jared. Um, I think you're just going to kind of see what, what we saw in 2018, which was a lot of the pre-snap creativity. Um, I think it's just going to probably go back to I'd say probably more 11 personnel a lot more mm. um looking at Tyler Higby because now they don't have Gerald Everett out there yeah. um and seeing really kind of what they can get going again with their top two receivers with being Cooper and Robert and, and obviously Deshaun Jackson if he's able to stay healthy but um I think they're gonna look for a lot more passes down the field and try and stretch a defense and open it up once again um which can create a lot of plays obviously underneath for for Cooper Cup um for Daryl Henderson out of the backfield um, mm. So I really expect that it's going to look, albeit you don't have Todd Gurley, a lot more 2018, a lot less late 2019, yeah. 2020, when it was just dink and dunk um, and became quite predictable and monotonous the whole way down. And all of that would obviously, to go back to the beginning of this discussion, would help Henderson and whoever's spelling him because I think – you know, if they were to go back to using more 11 personnel and also actually had a credible deep ball threat, um, Henderson won't face as many stacked boxes uh, that Akers mm -hmm. did last year. And so his life should be a little bit easier as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's a brutal loss. It sucks for Cam in particular, but I remain optimistic about this Rams <laughs> offense. I actually think like the most like for me, the question mark is like, can the Rams offense be better enough to offset any regression on defense? Because here's the thing, like the Rams defense was so good last year, they're probably going to be worse. That's just how it works. But throw on top of that, you lost your defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley, and also uh, two very good secondary players, particularly John Johnson, starting free safety, and Troy Hill, who was their slotting corner. Uh, so let's kind of work from... The top down, Raheem Moore is now the defensive coordinator in Los Angeles. He's like he said it's gonna be similar. Do you anticipate any changes in how he approaches this defense? Yeah, I do think it's going to be similar. Um, that's been kind of the theme they've carried throughout. I, I do anticipate some changes, though. You don't bring in a new defensive coordinator, especially one who has never run the system that you're currently yeah. running, and not expect some changes or him to kind of want to put in some of his own signature mark 
on the defense. So, you know, I, I think so how those changes will manifest, I think it's going to be a lot of the same of, of what Brandon Seeley tried to do, which was get Aaron Donald in more one-on-one situations. It was to try to really exploit and use Jalen Ramsey's skills and see how they can get him more involved in plays rather than just kind of like locking down one side of the yeah. field. They want him to make plays on the ball and put him in a position to do that. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that kind of continuation um, but as far as scheme and wholesale, it'll be really interesting because I don't think they have the depth at defensive back that they did last year to deploy some of those defensive back heavy packages. Um, you mentioned the loss of John Johnson and Troy Hill, but I also think there's some questions up front. Uh, Michael Brockers is a guy who has played, Aaron Donald's played his entire career up front with Michael Brockers, who was traded this offseason to Detroit. Um, so I think there's going to be a little bit of a growing pain up there as uh, Ashawn Robinson steps in. And it's also a little bit of a question mark what's going to happen opposite of Leonard Floyd on the pass rush um, after Samson Ebucom went to San Francisco uh, in free mm-hmm. agency. So there's kind of a big question out there. So like you mentioned, I mean, you're the number one defense in 2020. Uh, it's going to be tough to be number one again in 2021. So that that group likely to take a step back, even if it's just a small one. This is a great example, too, of kind of how you know, the, the cap is real, guys. People act like the cap's not real. The cap is real. And when you do incur big dead money charges like you did getting rid of Goff or um, give out big contracts like you did to, you know, Ramsey and Donald, who are obviously de- deserving, at a certain point, you start shedding these kind of middle of the pack players, right? Like guys like a Brockers or an Ebukam or the guys who went to the Browns. And and suddenly, like, you, it, it just opens question marks. I mean, Ken Robinson... Um, sort of replace Brockers up front. Um, who is going to rush the passer? Like I'm looking at the list of guys. Um, seen a lot of Rams preseason 2019 All Stars. Hey, and then the 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 secondary, which is what I really want to focus on. You mentioned how last year they had a ton of options. In fact, they they were elite when they were in dime personnel. But now this year. Like, so, yeah, you got Darius Williams, who you held on to as a restricted free agent, and Ramsey. But, like, when you're in nickel, do you move Ramsey inside, like you were alluding to, and have David Long Jr., who didn't really play, who was a draft pick? Is he going to play outside? And also, at safety, like, okay, you've got Jordan Fuller, who is this gem, but... Are skills redundant with Taylor Rapp? Is Terrell Burgess going to take that spot? I I just, there's questions, you know? Yeah, definitely. And the one thing I think Rams fans can kind of lean back on is that I think this coaching staff has proven in the past to really take their young guys, their their lower uh, drafted guys, and um, really build them into a sustainable, not maybe not playmakers, but, but dependable players who can go out there and hold their own, if not be counted on to make some, some big time plays. So, you know, how David Long has progressed, I think we're really going to find out. Um, Jordan Fuller, what kind of step he takes from year one to year two. Um, obviously, we will see that. Uh, Terrell Burgess, I mean, we really don't know much yeah. about him because he got hurt last season when he kind of finally started to get a little bit of a chance. Uh, so I think there's some definite questions. I think history shows that the Rams have done a nice job developing these young guys, these uh, later round draft picks. But uh, until you see it, it, it all is just a big question mark. For sure. And, of course, it helps having – two of the best players at their positions in all of football <laughs> on one side of the ball. Um, yeah. With uh, of course, obviously Donald and Ramsey. Um, all right. Let's move on from the Rams to the San Francisco 49ers. You know, we talked about question marks. Uh, this team has a question mark at the most important position in football. And of course that's quarterback with the drafting of Trey Lance. I am so tired of getting asked when Trey Lance is going to start because I, just generally with like rookies, I'm like, I don't know when he's ready. Um, but you really don't know, I think, what the case is San Francisco. Like, I, you know, just purely because they, well, for two reasons. One, they held on to Jimmy G, which they could have uh, saved a lot of money if they had gotten rid of him, that they could have used then to augment the roster or get a Fred Warner deal done, which suggests they might actually play Jimmy G. And also, Trey Lance, for all of his copious gifts and, and promise, which I've talked about a lot in this pod, he's really, really raw. Like, he really didn't play a lot of football, not a lot of reps. Um, so, you know, I think you, you cover a team that's played Jimmy Garoppolo 
a lot. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, do you think from if you were a San Francisco fan, would you want Jimmy starting the season? Would you want him to play out the whole season or is the best solution in your mind something in between? I'd say something in between without question. I mean, I for any rookie to be thrown in and like, let's remember Trey Lance isn't just going into any division, but the NFC West has some really formidable defenses that they're going to be playing. Um, I need to probably do a better check at who's early on their schedule. But uh, when you think of Trey Lance going up against Chandler Jones and Aaron Donald, uh, all the guys up in Seattle. I mean, that that is a tough slot for any a rookie quarterback to be thrown into immediately. Uh, I think probably if you're San Francisco, the best solution is to ride Jimmy G for as long as you need to, as long as you can. And they're always, not shouldn't say always, but there tends to be that window of time in a lot of quarterback seasons when like the natural switch can happen, whether that's Jimmy G getting hurt, which yeah. seemed to be something that happens quite often, um, whether that's a little bit of a slump. Um, there always seems to be that window that presents itself almost naturally. That's like, now is the time to make that switch. So I, I think in the best world, it would probably be some way midway between the seat midway through this season. Um, unless the 49ers, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo starts hot and, and goes out there and wants to prove to the 49ers, they made a big mistake and going and drafting a guy uh, underneath them, then, then ride with Jimmy G. But otherwise I think uh, best scenario would be for Trey Lance to take over at some point during the season. I feel like if they could wait till right after that first Rams game, they get the Jags, Vikings, Seahawks, Bengals, Falcons, Titans. That's a Texans. It gets a lot easier. The second half of the season is a much easier slate of defenses for San Francisco. I mean, the thing about the Niners, Lindsay, like I was, you know, started pulling stats on them last year, but it's all so irrelevant because not just because Trey Lance or whatever, but because this team was so unbelievably injured. It's insane. And they've been that way for now for like four years, which is hmm. crazy. But um, last year, you know, if you take out COVID, they lost the most adjusted games, which is a football outsider stat to injury of any team in the NFL. Um, just we can start on offense. We'll get to defense. But like on offense, um, you know, Debo Samuel breaking his foot at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season. They lost Jalen Hurd. For the season, Brandon Ayuk, they got hurt. He came on and played eventually. Um, and then the running backs all at various times battled injuries. I uh, So Raheem Mostert does come back. but And they drafted Trey Sermon, who I really like as a fit for the offense. But, um, you know, like the hope is that all these guys are healthy. And if they are healthy, um, coupled with an offensive line that added Alex Mack at center, it should be a good unit. But... Boy, like, I, no, I, not to I, mention just, the return of George Kittle, and the oh god, yeah, of course, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. George Kittle, yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, if everyone's there, it's a, it's a great group. Um, you know, there's still some questions. Like, I think I mentioned um, the offensive line. They also drafted uh, Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame, and I think it'd be the, the hope would be that he can come in as a starter because right guard has been a real issue for this team. That's better mm-hmm. at tackle, but. Um, Wide receiver three is a question mark, I would say. But like otherwise, like it, it's it's an awesome place for a rookie quarterback if everyone is healthy. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, just to think if you're Trey Lance and you have somebody like George Kittle, I mean, that is a yeah. dependable target, a big target. If you're a rookie quarterback and you're ever in trouble, you find that guy and and anything can happen. Um, not to mention, you know, when they did draft Trey Lance, one of the things Kyle Shanahan really leaned on was they made that move up because they knew he was going to be there. And although he's not one of the quarterbacks who has a great amount of college experience, he is a quarterback who learned things in college that the 49ers believe can translate um, to their game quite early, if not immediately. Uh, so I, th- I think that all bodes really well for Trey Lance. Um, but again, it just goes back to being a rookie quarterback and how much growing pain um, the 49ers are willing to feel with him. Uh, if they have an entirely healthy roster, on one hand, you put in a rookie quarterback and he's surrounded by talent. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you have an entirely healthy roster and you can put in Jimmy Garoppolo, who already knows the system, who already um, has plenty of pro experience, maybe you're the 49ers of 2019 and you're right back in contention for the division, if not uh, a deep playoff run in a Super Bowl. 
kind of like just when do you want to start the clock on Lance's development? Because I feel like we kind of know where Garoppolo's ceiling is. Uh, we also, I mean, oh, gosh, it, it bears like Kyle Shannon's already like the most devastating run game designer. Mm-hmm. You know, well, not in the NFL. I think obviously the Ravens are doing some pretty crazy stuff. But throwing in a quarterback who's also a threat to run. We saw a little bit of what Kyle did with RG3 in Washington. But I think Lance and and the weapons he's put together, you know, this is a group that's in 21 personnel a lot with Kyle Juszczyk. And again, like the option game would just be out of control, an absolute nightmare for opposing linebackers. I can't even imagine. Um, you know, I, yeah, like I, it, it's a tough question. Cause like you said, I think if Garoppolo is healthy there, the, the ceiling is high, but the floor is reasonably high as well. Mm-hmm. Um, given again, assuming everyone else is healthy. And if the offensive line either, you know, you get sort of banks or whoever to, Maybe if having Alex Mack at center would help as well because that was a problem last year as well. Another area where they had injuries, but it just I, I have I have a tough one time calling this one. Like I think with Chicago, it's like obvious you start fields as soon as you can, right? Or mm-hmm. you know uh, some of the other teams, but with this team, it's it's a little bit harder to say. Well, you you bring up a really good point. If with Alex Mack coming, that could be a natural time to say, you know what? Like we have a new center who is a veteran center who uh, can diagnose a defense, who can really kind of provide maybe some of that extra information to really help a rookie quarterback out. Um, so maybe that's the natural window right there to say, you know, we're going forward to Alex Mack. Let's have Alex also really kind of help take Trey under his wing and tutor him there and make that pair really. Um, sustainable and last mm. throughout the season. Uh, that that could be a, a little bit of a a little bit of a shoulder to lean on there if you're, if you're Trey Lance to to have a veteran like that under center. That's a good point. Um, so again, to continue the theme of injuries on the other side of the ball, I mean, just good grief. Like obviously Bosa, but the it, it, the thing too is like it's not just guys lost for the season. Like I feel like at one point or the other, every single 49ers defensive back was out. Um, just unbelievable. Uh, amount of injuries um but you know they actually managed to bring back almost except for Richard Sherman who's obviously you know kind of battling his own issues right now they brought back all of the other DBs uh which is great so like you know you got Jacoby Tard and Jimmy Ward a safety um Jason Fred, Emmanuel Mosley K1 Williams that's great but those guys have all been hurt and so again it's like a group that if they're healthy I think is a a good secondary Emmanuel Mosley has been a little bit up and down. Um, the rest of them played well when they're healthy, but when they're healthy is the operative term because all of those players have battled injuries, some to greater degrees than others over the years. Yeah. And you know, the biggest question at some point for the 49ers has to be what is going on in their training or what is going on in their program to create all of these injuries? Uh, because otherwise the solid defense, um, solid offense. But if you can't keep guys on the field um, and we end up having reporters writing news news stories about injuries every day, um, losing another big name guy, it just becomes so problematic. So uh, if you're the 49ers, I think, I mean, if, if you're healthy, it's great. If not, I think at some point they need to take a deeper look and say, what yeah. is going on to create all these injuries? It's a curse. It has to be a curse. The only explanation. Um, yeah, they do th- an area where they are. So I, they are thin in the secondary, but up front there is more depth that a defensive tackle in particular, um, you know, after moving on from divorce Buckner, they drafted Javon Kinlaw, mm-hmm. but DJ Jones comes back from injury. I feel like from injuries and over, I keep saying uh, they add Mo Hurst, Zach Kerr, um, Bosa sensibly comes back. And, and with all those players back, then you have kind of, the flexibility to use Eric Armstead the way you want, move him inside, um, use him outside as well. And then behind the, oh, wow, the Rams added, the, or the Niners signed Ebicom. I forgot about that. Yeah. I'm the depth chart. yeah. Okay, again, there's some depth there. And then behind them, of course, in, in Fred Warner and Drake Greenlaw, you got two of the better, and mercifully not banged up, uh, linebackers in the NFL. So again, on paper, very good front seven. I guess, you know, We'll see. I, I would say, like, you opposite Nick Bosa. You know, I think Eric Armstead with everyone else is is pretty solid. But it, it's it's just on paper. On paper, this is a very very still a very very good front seven, and they can go back to not blitzing that much 
um, you know, Robert Sala, who also was gone, uh, really dialed up the blitz last year, but a lot of that had to do with the personnel that was available to them. I think with everyone back and Bosa in particular, he can go back to just kind of the new defensive coordinator to make a rise can go back to just rushing four. Yeah, you know, and that's actually the loss of Robert Sala, I think, is something that actually hasn't been spoken about in the NFC West, um, maybe as much as it should mm-hmm. have. Maybe that's because uh, there obviously is a new quarterback um, with the Niners, there's a new quarterback in LA, and that seems to be getting most of the offseason attention. But the loss of Robert Sala, I mean, that is a guy who dialed up this defense and had them going when they were healthy uh, at an incredible clip. I mean, last season, I know they very injury depleted team, but they still were a middle of the pack defense considering all those injuries, um, which is usually totally. a unit that, that could have folded. Uh, you know, I know that D'Amico Ryans is a guy that has learned at the elbow of Robert Sala and has really kind of been under his tutelage for the last several years. But again, another new defensive coordinator, one with no experience. It'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see how he kind of holds it all together um, once he actually is the guy making the calls. That's a good point. But yeah, two of the teams with new defensive coordinators. Um, yeah, I, I, I like, okay, just making, you know, overarching pronouncements. If all the players we just named on offense and defense are healthy, <laughs> I actually do think the Niners can win the division. I think, I mean, you know, because the NFC West is a hellscape. It's the hardest division in football. But I, while I think Jimmy Garoppolo is the worst of the starting quarterbacks, we don't know who mm-hmm. Trey Lance is yet. I still think that this team and, and this coaching staff is good enough to basically look, you know, pretty similar to how they looked the year that they went to the Super Bowl. Um, but again, you know, I, there, there's fragility. There's fragility in that wide receiver group and, uh, you know, in the running back group. And yeah, I mentioned they lost Jeff Wilson to injury, which again, mm-hmm. crazy, crazy, who like was the back who kind of broke out at the end of last year. Fragility in the secondary. Fragility, fragility, fragility. So, I, you know, for Niners fans, I just think the hope obviously is that at some point the luck begins to turn because it just seems impossible that they could, it could be as bad as it has been in recent years. Well, I think that's been the toughest thing to predict about the 49ers. I mean, you look at Kyle Shanahan and the time he's been in San Francisco, how much of that has been with a healthy team? I mean, this is going to be his fifth yeah. season. Um, you know, 2017, throw that out. 2019, or excuse me, 2018 had some issues. 2019, uh, obviously they go to a Super Bowl. So I tend to think, okay, 2020, you have to throw out 2020. 2021, you kind of look more at what they were doing in 2019 and how he was able to coach that team up. And, and even with Jimmy Garoppolo, get them as far as they did, knowing his limitations. Um, so it's Kyle Shanahan, I have no doubt in as a coach, but like you said, the fragility of this team is, is pretty stunning and it's a really hard team to kind of get behind knowing how many of their recent seasons have been derailed by injuries. Yeah. It's an interesting conversation with Shanahan because, you know, I'm such a fan of him as a coach and also like, you know, you have to acknowledge the reality of the adversity he's faced and the fact that when he actually did have a healthy team, he made it to the Super Bowl. But also at a certain point this season, let's say they are healthy and they're not successful or, you know, somehow the Trey Lance situation is mismanaged. I do think there are some question marks uh, there, fair or not, about his tenure because the Lance move was a swing for the fences. And he, while I think he's one of the most brilliant coaches in football, he is a coach who again, due to reasons outside of his control, has not had a lot of success, um, you know, in just from a pure record-wise. All right. So, one quick question. Are you talking yeah, yeah. warm seat? Are you talking hot seat? I, I, you know, I hate it because, like, to me, his seat shouldn't be warm, but I do feel like if – Lance looks bad, for example. Let's say he goes come in and play and it looks like, oh my God, they traded their whole future for this guy. I do think there's a little bit, it's a little toasty, perhaps. And that that I think would be a little bit more reasonable than uh blaming him for any of these lost seasons that are obviously way outside of his control. Well, you know what, Lindsay? Let's talk about a coach whose seat I think should be t- hot, not just warm, but hot. And that is Cliff Kingsbury. So we're gonna after the break. Let's get to the Arizona Cardinals. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, 
It is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. All right. As promised, Cliff Kingsbury, I'm not burning him. But I am suggesting that he deserves scrutiny because this is an offense in Arizona. We'll get to the defense in a second, but start with the offense. An offense that took a massive leap in his first year from being like one of the worst in the NFL to the middle of the pack. And, and you know, everybody was really, really happy. And the Kyler pick looked great. And then last year really stagnated. Um, finished 14th in passing, 17th in rushing. But to me, it goes beyond that. Just watching the offense – in uh, and, and the first season, I was more critical of his like in-game management and some of his decision makings around like you know going for it and timeouts and that kind of thing. Last year, really, I I was really underwhelmed by the play calling, um, in particular in the passing game, and I think it's especially significant or concerning because you got a quarterback who's now who at one point had like MVP buzz. And is going into his third season and obviously has all these incredible physical tools, but um, still struggles throwing the ball uh, intermediate to the intermediate area of the field, struggles when he's blitzed. Um, and I think there's questions, okay, well, wh- what of this is Kyler and what of it is an absence of creativity and diversity in the passing attack? Mina, I'm probably one of the worst people to ask about the Arizona Cardinals because when I watch them play in person, which has amounted to uh, many times over the last several years, the Rams have beat them all eight times. And Ooh, going really? into those eight, the Rams eight, have eight, 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 no? eight wow. straight, McVay's never lost to, uh, Cliff. to Cliff Kingsbury. Wow. Um, and, and I have to say that like every time I go to make that game prediction, I just put a Rams W because at the yeah. end of the day, the Arizona Cardinals just can't figure it out. And Kyler Murray has all of the talent and he's a very fun quarterback to watch, but there's something about his development. And I'm, I'd put this far more on the coaching staff than I would put on, on Kyler um, because he has all of the tools. He's a gifted runner. He's a gifted thrower. Um, he seems incredibly intelligent. Uh, but at some point you have to take out of that next step and be able to recognize things coming at you. And he's, he hasn't done that. And to me, that's, that's a lack of coaching and a lack of explanation, um, on the, on the coach's parts or the lack of scheme on their part. And there's depending on him to like run out there and be Kyler. And, and that works in college that doesn't work in the NFL. You have to be, um, setting up things obviously for Kyler to succeed and not just depending on his natural right. gifts. So that's until, until they have a coaching staff that can figure out how to put him in a position to succeed, I, I just, it's going to be a tough slog for, for the Arizona Cardinals. I love the way you just put it there, which is like, you can't just in the NFL say, go out and like be Kyler, right? Like, which is a thing you could do in, in college um, to some degree, especially with the air raid offense, which is just like, okay, you know, everybody we've got, a bunch of really fast guys, let's go out on the field and run plays really quickly. And and you just, you know, all four of you wide receivers are on the field, beat your guys, right? And you saw defenses um, 
containing Kyler in the run game as the year went on. And then, you know, keying in on DeAndre Hopkins, who was used in kind of a static fashion. Um, I want to give a shout out here to the Football Outsiders Almanac. I just uh, pulled up, before we started taping, I pulled up the Arizona Cardinals section because I wanted to see how much 10 personnel they used. And it actually had gone down. But the writer um, made a great point in this section on the Cardinals, which is, Part of the reason why the offense started to stagnate as the year went on, in particular Kyler's rushing ability, some of it was, this isn't mentioned, but he, he hurt his shoulder at some point, and I think that probably affected him. But uh, this section points out, and I had forgotten about this, that New England, as they so often do, kind of figured out how to play them, which was to play you know, a ton of zone coverage and put lighter defenders on the field. And now when that happens, you can do what Baltimore does when teams try to do that to Lamar Jackson, which is just run them over uh, with the power running game that Baltimore has. But Arizona doesn't have that. They didn't have that last season. So um, you know, they go out and they trade for Rodney Hudson, which I thought was a fabulous trade. And they added James Conner and they, you know, we'll see how that works out too. But to me, like there, it just, Felt at times like Cliff wasn't there. There was he wasn't giving Kyler easy answers other than just like screen, 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 uh, curl, 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 curl. And I, my hope is that like they drafted Rondell Moore, who I think is an awesome draft pick for them. My hope is that the comp he can add an, like a dimensionality to this passing attack against those sorts of zone defenses that opens things up for the entire offense and including DeAndre Hopkins. You know, I think Kyler said something that. I thought was quite profound for uh, what I'd still consider to be a, a young NFL quarterback. And he said uh, this offseason that his legs should be a luxury. Um, they shouldn't be mm. dependent on. And um, like you mentioned, I, they got some of these weapons and I think that they need to find a way to help Kyler get these guys the ball rather than feeling like maybe he has to be a one man show um, trying to get DeAndre Hopkins in some different positions to free him up uh, because it comes to me, this just comes down to scheme for the Cardinals, um, which again comes back to coaching. So Cliff Kingsbury made a very bold move with the Kyler Murray um, selection after they already had mm. Josh Rose and he survived that. But now it's like, okay, you've got your quarterback and it just goes back to now. How do you put him in position to succeed? So AJ Green, when they bring him in, okay, like that's a guy who might kind of be uh, definitely on the downhill slope. Yeah. Christian Kirk is a guy who maybe hasn't developed into being the player uh, that they hoped he would be, whether that's on coaching or whether that's on Kirk, like probably a little bit of toss up there. Um, so like, like you mentioned, they brought in some great guys to try to put around Kyler and they made some good off season acquisitions, but I think really until they can come up with a scheme um, to allow their quarterback to complete some of those mid range throws yeah. and have to worry less about scrambling on his feet. Uh, and, and Kyler, unlike Lamar, he's, he's not as like bulky. He's not as strong. So he's probably not meant to take the pounding that some of these NFL uh, defensive players have delivered, um, mm. which has contributed to probably some of his injuries last year. Now, that's it's interesting. Like it, Lamar is pretty thin, but he has a way of running where I I knock on wood, but for some reason I feel like he's really, I don't know if it's under his understanding of like leverage or whatever, where he's pretty good at avoiding big hits. Kyler took a couple that he's tiny, but he took a couple last year that had me concerned. Um, the weird thing about Arizona, well, weird thing, but something that shocked me last year was that the defense was way better than it had any right to be. And, and it ultimately ended up being better than the offense, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, is a testament to Vance Joseph in that group because they lost Chandler Jones as their best pass rusher early on and still thrived. Uh, they were extremely aggressive, blitzed a ton, uh, got a lot of production out of like really unexpected names like Dennis Gardeck, who expected that, you know, um, there was got Hassan Raddick had a ton of sacks. He's gone, but they went out, they brought in JJ Watt. They drafted Zaven Collins, which is a little bit surprising, signed Marcus Golden, which I thought was like one of those nice kind of, you know, not too expensive pickups. Um, so like, you know, it's a, the front seven, we'll get to the back in, in it. If Watt is, if Watt and Jones are healthy and, they figure out ways to use Collins and Simmons takes Isaiah Simmons takes another step forward. I could see the front seven making some noise. Yeah. I think this defense is actually really intriguing. Uh, if JJ Watt stays healthy, 
Uh, and you pair him with Chandler Jones if he's healthy, like you mentioned. Um, I think that could be a pretty formidable front, um, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily what you think of when you when you think of the Cardinals. Um, last year, and they, I was just looking it up, they allowed 22, almost 23 points per game, which top 12 in the NFL. I mean, I think that's pretty solid. If you can get your offense together, then you have a playoff team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their defense really held it together for them late in the season when when everything else seemed to be really collapsing. Um, but JJ Watt, I think it is a little bit of a wild card too. Like, where is he at in his career? Yeah. Last year, he played the most defensive snaps of any player in the league, but the previous really? three seasons, um, mm-hmm. he missed 32 games. So it, it's just such a toss up where he's at as far as his health. Um, I know the Cardinals have said multiple times, um, throughout the organization that bringing him in, it has a lot to do with player accountability. So maybe, um, bringing in a veteran like him, he's the guy who can help them sustain an entire 17 game season rather than coming out f- hot in the first half and then completely fading into oblivion in the second half. Um, maybe he's more of like an accountability guy, but obviously they're going to need him to perform well on the field um, if they want to make the playoffs. So what's less formidable uh, to me <laughs> is the secondary. Uh, this to me is the worst group on the team. And if I had to pick a reason why I'm less optimistic about the Cardinals, uh, even though I think there's like, you know, upside with the front seven and if, you know, with Kyler, we'll see what the offense does. Outside of Buda Baker, this group is rough. I mean, Byron Murphy, whom I, whom I loved at, at Washington, I'm a Washington fan. You are too, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm a graduate. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I just I like your bluntness. This group is rough. I mean, I just look at the depth chart, man. Like opposite yeah. Buda Baker, it's Jalen Thompson, who was a supplemental draft pick a couple of years ago, has not played much. Uh, corner, I guess Robert Alford coming back from injury. Malcolm Butler, who's Performance has dropped off a little bit as the years have gone on. Mm-hmm. Byron Murphy, who hasn't really lived up to his draft status at nickel. It's a – Buda Baker is a star um, and one of the more versatile young safeties in the NFL. But outside of him, woof, woof. Yeah, woof. I, you like that? The dogs, woof, woof, Buda yeah. Baker. And I, hey, anyway. go hey, dogs. Uh, um, I, the, what really is going to be the key here for this group is going to be the front seven. I mean, they're going to have to find yeah. a way to, to force quarterbacks into hurried throws. Otherwise, it could be a really long season. And you look at this uh, secondary and you think of uh, out who they're going to have to go against. I mean, you go against Russell Wilson. You're going to be going against Matthew Stafford. Um, it's going to be a gauntlet in this division to deal with some of these quarterbacks. Uh, And some of these receivers, really, when you look from DK Metcalf to, uh, I mean, even Debo Samuel down to, um, you know, Deshaun Jackson and Robert Woods and those guys get going. So uh, there should be some worry uh, in Arizona about these guys and whether or not they can get the most out of them. And and really, like I said, I think that has to do a lot with their front seven and how much Mm. um, havoc they can get on some of these quarterbacks to to make errant throws. Otherwise, um, it could be a, a long time, long season for the secondary. Yeah, Vance Joseph really, again, has his work cut out for him, and you're totally right. They're going to have to be very creative up front to compensate for some of those issues in the back. Um, you mentioned DK Metcalf, so let's let's wrap up by talking about the Seattle Seahawks. Um, so a lot of drama with Wilson uh, in the spring, Russell Wilson. Tyler Lockett said uh this morning on good morning football that uh utv shows need stuff to talk about which is true tyler it is true we do need stuff to talk about i thought his more interesting comments came i I think it was maybe around the time of otas he talked about the offense he's been like really weirdly open about the offensive struggles down the stretch and you are very qualified to talk about them because they were three of those games were against the rams and by the way i actually think you could argue that the Seahawks' um, problems on offense may be overblown because three of those games came against the best defense in the NFL, but I digress. Uh, Lockett said, with new offensive coordinator Shane Waldron, we're going to be more balanced. What teams decide to give us, that's what we're going to take. And I thought that was fascinating, Lindsay, because you saw firsthand what teams didn't give them, which was basically they de- teams like the Rams and the Giants – zeroed in on taking away the explosive play by playing more too high. Um, So he seems to be suggesting that the offense might be a little bit more like LA's, which is 
you know, a little more balanced for trying to generate yards after the catch. And Shane Waldron was the pass game coordinator with the Rams. I mean, do you think some of those principles can be imported to Seattle? Yeah, no doubt. I am very intrigued by what is going to happen in Seattle with Shane Waldron becoming their new offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, we saw Shane Waldron. He was the past, like you mentioned, he was the passing game coordinator in 2019 and 2020. Uh, he was moved out of kind of a coordinating role as Kevin O'Connell came. But I, him going to Seattle to work with Russell Wilson, everything I have heard from a, a vast group of, of folks up in Seattle is that the results, the early returns, everyone is stoked about them and very, very excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what Shane Waldron will bring will be, you know, obviously a lot of what, what he learned uh, in LA under Sean McVay and a lot of those concepts. Um, what is a little bit of like the wild card is that Russell Wilson has physical gifts that Jared Goff didn't have, um, yeah. you know, that obviously Matthew Stafford doesn't have. So how Shane Waldron will use Russell Wilson's gifts and, and kind of tip, implement those into an offense that obviously um, relies on a lot of play action, uh, a lot of like pre-snap disguises and looks. Um, I, I think that'll be super interesting. And uh, how him and Russell Wilson also work together as far as their temperaments, I think will be really interesting because Shane is, I don't want to say he's laid back, but he's hes kind of quiet. He's methodical. Um, so I think that's going to be really an interesting dynamic to learn how that goes along between him and Russell Wilson. Yeah, and he's not the only Ram who made his way up. The uh, Seahawks also signed tight end Gerald Everett. You mentioned a little bit at the top of the show about the Rams likely playing more 11, um, which I think, you know, I'd love to hear what you think of Everett before we get to that. I think the absence of a um, a threat at tight end really hurt the Seahawks down the stretch as well. Greg Olson got hurt. Will Disley was coming back from injury. So Hollister was, you know, not... I think a top tier NFL starter. So to have ideally a healthy Disley and the guy they hope Gerald Everett is, I think will really augment that quote unquote balanced offense where it's not just like, okay, we're going to DK or Tyler. They also drafted, of course, Dwayne Eskridge, who's this kind of speedster wide receiver and then signed Chris contract or Chris Carson to a, a longer contract. Yeah, no doubt. That'll give them a nice big target over the middle. Um, some more of those kind of intermediate plays. A lot of those plays that you really see, um, not only the, with the Rams offense, but you also see with the 49ers offense when they find Kittle and they're really able to pick up the yards after the catch. Um, you know, Gerald Everett had several of those plays in LA. Uh, Tyler Higby with Shane Waldron had several of those plays um, where they find him over the middle, obviously big targets. So I think that will really aid Russell Wilson and be able to kind of uh, – expand his passing game beyond uh, I mean, what, frankly, mm. is really exciting with the deep throws, but, um, you know, if they yeah. want to mix it up a little bit more. But uh, Gerald Everett, it's really interesting um, to me because I think that he is one of these guys who is going to benefit from a change of scenery. Um, mm. I don't think his star ever really took off in L.A., um, whether that be partially Jared's, Gerald's fault, um, which I, I think it is, whether that's partially the Rams' Um, you know, maybe not kind of giving him the tutelage, the tutoring that he needed. That could be part of it. Um, but a change of scenery is probably best for him. Um, he, he can create huge plays. I know he had some signature ones um, with the Rams. Um, he can also have some drops that hmm. make you just shake your head and wonder how the heck Uh-oh. they happened. Um, so how Russell Wilson, I, I think it's going to be really interesting because he has a veteran quarterback in Russell Wilson who is not a quarterback who uh, seems to take mistakes lightly and who expects the most out of his players and I think gives the most to his players. Um, So I think some leadership like that might serve Gerald Everett really well. That's interesting. Yeah, he's definitely the most athletic tight end Mm -hmm. they've had in a minute, um, but the drops are a concern. Um, I'm optimistic about the offense. I have questions about the defense, um, especially in a couple of areas. So... The Seahawks let, I think, two key players, well, three key players are not on this team anymore, and those are, I think, where the questions are. In the back, Shaquille Griffin is, we'll mm-hmm. go back to front. <laughs> so Shaquille Griffin is gone, and I, the Seahawks didn't want to pay him like a top corner because they didn't believe he was, you know, and he was undeniably the best corner on their team. Um, was he a superstar? No. But now, you know, at safety, they're cool. They got Jamal Adams and Quandry Diggs at it, but at corner... You're looking at DJ Reed, 
who came from San Francisco or he was previously in San Francisco and, and sort of got his way into a starting job last year, Akella Witherspoon, who they signed from San Francisco. And then I think at nickel, either Marquise Blair, who was hurt last year, or Ugo Amadi. That's not an intimidating group. To say you mean it's not the Legion of Boom? No, definitely not the Legion of Boom. At least the, the corners are, I mean, question, questions, yeah, I'd yeah. say, are fair to be had. No, definitely fair. You know, uh, obviously, for whatever reason, they felt uh, Shaquille Griffin wasn't in the budget to bring back. Um, but uh, you look at the secondary and outside of Jamal Adams, who, uh, as long as he's healthy this year, it's not the most intimidating secondary for, for anybody to go at. Um, I think that that's probably going to be their absolute weakness, uh, where they didn't Mm. really do much to improve. And, um, if you're the Seahawks, like you're going to have to hope that where you made your improvements up front, especially on the edge, um, kind of like we were uh, talking about with Arizona, you're going to have to hope that that those improvements up front compensate for maybe what you lost on the back end. So up front is, I think, where it gets really interesting because the absence of a pass rush was dramatic in the first half of the season. It's part of the reason why Jamal Adams blitzed so dang much. Um, they traded for Carlos Dunlap, who played really well down the stretch, brought him back, then added Kerry Hyder, uh, who had a kind of breakout year in San Francisco last year. Alden Smith, his status is kind of up in the air. And then there, the hope is that, uh, you know, combination of LJ Collier, Rasheen Green, and Daryl Taylor, who had a redshirt year last season and will be playing uh, sort of in sen- essentially in replace replacing KJ Wright at, at the Sam, hoping, hoping that they can get uh, more of a pass rush from that group. And I do think they will. My question, I think, is kind of the, the CX had this weird divorce with Jaron Reed where like they trying to resign him and he like turned it down. It was confusing. He's in Kansas city now and it's unclear who the three tech is. Um, Puna Ford, who's like my favorite football player in the world at the moment. He's a bowling ball of terror. He can play three tech weirdly enough. And they did add Al Woods who can bleed the nose, but I don't know. I mean, because the Seahawks will be so often in their sub packages they don't really need two defensive tackles on the field at all times, but and they could move Collier inside. But I, I, I think the read absence might be felt hard more than people expect. Yeah, and you know, the Seahawks kind of got away this summer with with making that move without much skepticism. But it's kind of like yeah. again, when you have as much action as happened out here um, in the NFC West, kind of one of those moves that goes under the radar until you really kind of feel the absence this year. And I think. At some point, the question is going to be raised: like, why did they really part ways with uh, with Reed? Um, how they fill that? I mean, I, I don't know. Like you said, they go in. There's a lot of packages that they can try and compensate with, where maybe they don't need two tackles out there. But um, probably the the thing that they're going to ride the hardest is the fact that they were dramatically able to improve their pass yeah. rush at the end of last season and um, try and take that and mold that into something going ahead in 2021. Yeah, definitely. They, they, um, gosh, last year, I remember uh, his name's Corbin Smith. He writes for Sports Illustrated, had a, had a good piece about sort of the Seahawks using more bare fronts as the season went on, um, where they had the defensive tackles sort of squished inside and then had um, and a, a nose tackle heads up and then had the edge rushers uh, on the line of scrimmage. And I think that's something they might do more, again, based on some of their personnel decisions and not bringing KJ right back. Um Let's wrap it up here. I think this division like could finish in any order and like every other division. I'm like, well, there's a clear top half and a bottom half or like, I don't know. The NFC South is like very obvious. The Bucks are the best team. I don't feel that way about this division. Like some people think the Rams are going to run away with it. Some people think the Seahawks are, I, I think this is the most, it's the best division in football and it's the most unpredictable division of football. But Lindsay, if you had to pick a winner <laughs> right now, what would be your leaning? I, I, Mina, these are the tough questions. I, if I had to right now, I mean, I would have easily said the Rams. And then this morning with the news of Cam Akers, it's like, again, tough. that that run game situation is is a big situation. And it's a, was kind of the uh, one of the clutches that they used to defend Matthew Stafford's time in Detroit. So it's like, all right, so now he's back to that kind of square without having a dependable running back unless Daryl Henderson steps up. I know I'm just recapping this right now. Um, <laughs> San Francisco, like, can they stay healthy? That is a huge yeah. question. 
Uh, I'm a little bit worried about the Seahawks defense. Uh, the Cardinals, I just, as I mentioned earlier, like I can't trust them because every time I've seen them play, it has just been a bit of a disaster. Um, so I think if I have to pick a team right now, just based on the roster top to bottom, um, it's, I have to go with the Rams based off Stafford, the returning receivers, and uh, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald on defense. Um, I think that's totally fair. And that's uh, not me being a Rams. No, not at all. It's just they're the favorite. I have to. Yeah. Many, most people are picking the Rams. I think that's completely fair. Um, This is where I usually get my pick. I probably at this point go Rams, Seahawks, Niners, Cardinals, but I don't know. I don't know. This division is really hard to pick. I do think. If, they're, if, they're, if, if the yeah. Niners stay healthy, I would go Rams, Whew. Niners, Seahawks, Cardinals. I'll say this. With the expanded playoffs, you could totally get three teams from this stinking division. Yeah, they almost did last year. Oi. All right. As always, we're going to – oh, my God, week 17. All right. As always, we're going to wrap up with five questions for our guest. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Lindsay, first question is from me. Well, first four questions are from me. Fifth is from Lenny. Um, I want to start by asking you just to pick a Ram who you think could be one to watch this season, could have like a real exciting, maybe maybe take a leap or break out, just someone who you're excited about. I'm going to go with Leonard Floyd. And I know that Leonard Floyd had a big season last year. He had 10 and a half sacks, really kind of turned his entire career around. Um, but I don't think he got the credit that maybe he deserved. I know he got the contract, but but maybe from kind of the rest of the NFL, I think he should have earned some nods as far as Pro Bowl and whatnot. So maybe uh, he'll, he'll second season on core performance, he'll kind of get more of the recognition around the league that he deserves. Interesting. All right. Second question. Um, you have been to SoFi Stadium. I have never been there. I will be there for the first time ever in mid-August for the Rams preseason. Can you give me a dining recommendation? <laughs> what is the you best know, food we, I we just got to taste the food uh, a couple of weeks ago because last season it was all like box lunches. Um, and I would say that they had these like tots, they had these tater tots that were covered in like some sort of sriracha sauce mm. and they were really, really good. Um, some of the food looked a little, uh, looked a little sketchy to me. Like they have, wow. these ham- they tried to reinvent the hamburger instead of going with the round patty. They went with like the long kind of hot dog version. I just wasn't really a doing hot- it for what? me. Like a, like yeah. a rectangle hamburger? No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like a long mm. rectangle hamburger. So that mm. just that alone kind of like a I'm super slider. Sure. Yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't my jam. Um, but I'd go with the tots. I think they're called the tsunami tots. <laughs> I do love tot. I love a tot. Um, speaking of tots, let's talk about John Wolford, my favorite Ram. Um, really, it's, it's a shame he's not probably not going to get a shot the starting job with the Stafford trade. I, you know, draft Stafford. But he's only one snap away. Oh, you're always one always. snap away. He's always one snap away. Um, what do you think happens to him after this season? Because he's I think Sean Mc, I think Sean McVay loves him. And I think that so Sean, do I, Sean will do whatever it takes to keep John Wolford uh, on the Rams roster as their backup quarterback. How come no one gives me credit for being the original leader of the Wolfpack? Mina, I give you credit all the time. You know I text you all the time, little John Wolford tidbits, crediting you because you saw it first. I feel like I discovered him. It's like um, the who uh, we have uh, Jonathan Gavoni was like the first writer who went to Greece to watch Giannis play and came back. That's how I feel about John Wolford. Honestly, I feel like I discovered. Your no. excitement, I will never forget it when you watched him light it up in the preseason and you thought, that guy is really, really good. I mean, you vocalized it loud and proud. Thank you. Um, that will always, that that to me will always be what goes on the headline of your resume when I think of Mina Kimes, <laughs> like scouted John Wilford first. Scouted John Wilford. At the very least, I was like, I kind of think he is better than Blake Morrells. Um, Okay. Where is Blake Morrells, by the way? He's on an NFL team. Uh, yeah, he's in Green Bay weird yeah. <laughs> okay that's weird okay question four uh i like to ask my guests for content recommendations tv show book movie i'll go first i'm really loving this season of dave i've been tweeting about it on fx started a little bit slow but has really picked up steam last few weeks have been awesome like my favorite show on tv right now what is your recommendation 
Oh my god, Mina, I'm so embarrassed because all I've watched this summer is garbage TV, like love garbage, mindless stuff. So I'm a I'm big into below deck Mediterranean, and the fact that I'm admitting it on your podcast makes me feel just so inferior. It's not even funny. You and Bill Barnwell need to talk about below deck. He's a below deck guy. Yeah, love it. I just I can't get enough of it. And there's something so fascinating to me about these mega yachts and the people who rent the mega yacht versus the people who work on the mega yacht. So, um, I got I hate cruises. Have you ever been on a cruise? No, and I never will. No, I'm good. I, uh, I I cannot stay confined to like one. No, I, yes. I, I couldn't do it. it. I'd feel claustrophobic. I also get seasick. So, um, all right. Last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Uh, Lenny says this is more of a comment than a question. He heard that, like his mom, you are a lifelong Mariners fan, and he wants to say, "I'm sorry." And why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> I know, so you can't help what you're born into. You know what I mean? That's a great born, point. born and raised in Seattle. I'll, I will say that. Those days with Ken Griffey Jr. and Jay Buhner and Edgar Martinez like remain my all-time best sports memories. And I hold on to those dearly and pray dearly that one day the Seattle Mariners will return to glory and will have a group as awesome as that one was and go to the World Series. Until then, um, you know, we'll just uh, keep on building. <laughs> Lenny would have loved Jay Buhner because his nickname's The Bone. The Bone.